Thank you for firing up the Sunrise Church podcast. My name is Steve Garcia, and I am the lead pastor at Sunrise. We are a community of Jesus followers from all walks of life, all colors of skin, and all ages. And I hope this message you hear today inspires you to deepen your connection with Christ. Let's dive in. What's your greatest fear? All of us are afraid of something. Maybe it's spiders or snakes. Maybe it's flying in a plane or dying all alone. Maybe it's social situations. Maybe it's a political party. Maybe it's losing everything that you work so hard for. Maybe it's public speaking. Believe it or not, that's one of my fears. Don't worry, I'm not picturing you in your underwear. (laughs) But as I thought about this, one of the greatest fears in my life is to lose somebody I love. Specifically, my wife and four kids. Right? It's not something that I obsess over. I rarely think about it, but it's definitely at the very top of my list. So how do you face your fears? What do you do to overcome those moments in your life, especially when it's more than a good scare, when your fears actually become reality? 30 years ago, Eric Clapton wrote a song called Tears in Heaven. It was a tribute to his four-year-old son named Connor, who tragically fell over 50 stories from a New York apartment building. And I want us to listen to when he played this song for the very first time. Check this out. It's called Tears in Heaven.
Clapton wrote about this song in an autobiography, and I quote, Essentially, I wrote this one to ask the question I had been asking myself ever since my grandfather had died. Will we really meet again? It's difficult to talk about these songs in depth. That's why they're songs. Their birth and development is what kept me alive through the darkest period of my life. When I try to take myself back to that time to recall the terrible numbness that I lived in, I recoil in fear. I never want to go through anything like that again. End quote. For you, this song may have stirred up memories of both comfort and pain. Maybe this helped bring some healing to your heartache when you first heard it. I personally believe it is a beautifully touching song, full of raw emotion about a real-life tragedy. There's another song I want us to listen to today, a song for the fearful, and it's found in the Psalter, which is what the collection of Psalms is called in God's Word. And today we'll be in Psalm 27, and I just want to see how it lines up with what God says and what we've heard just moments ago. Psalm 27 has been attributed to King David. But we can't know for sure what exact events transpired that, that inspired these words we're about to read. Although we can confirm that King David, he endured a lot of suffering. He, he faced numerous fears in his life. From having his life threatened on several occasions to having his adult children involved in some serious conflict. He even lost an infant who only lived to be one week old. And just like songs have genres, the, the Psalms have various categories as well. And during our teaching series, we've looked at a, a psalm of praise. We've looked at a psalm of thanksgiving. We've looked at a, a psalm of wisdom. Today, we're going to look at a psalm of sorrow, of lament, of great grief. And as we Read this psalm. I think it's important to understand the mood of this psalm, 27, is like the mood of the song we just heard. In fact, of the 150 psalms in Scripture, most of them are lamentations. And so know that as we read these lyrics and we can see how David wrote and, and try to experience that as he intended as he penned this. Let's start in verse 1. It says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of, of whom shall I be afraid? Interestingly enough, the, this psalm starts out with, with a strong vote of confidence, doesn't it? Right? David doesn't seem like he's scared or sad at all. It's like he's pumping himself up. And it goes on in verse 2. When the wicked advanced against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. Right? This confidence continues to arise. And I don't know about you, but this sounds like an evil zombie army attacking him. 
Even with that being said, he's sure that not only is he going to survive, he's going to stand while the others fall, while his enemies bow down. But how can he be so sure? Well, verse 4, I believe, gives us a clue. He says, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Now he zeroes in on this singular request. And that's to be in the presence of God. Not just for a day, but for a lifetime. And if you're familiar with Psalm 23, the last verse makes a declaration. And it says that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it's not just to ask God for his provision but it's to adore God for his perfection, right? To gaze at the beauty of the Lord as he says it. It goes on in verse 5. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent, I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. This is textbook case of faith over fear right David wasn't denying his fearfulness he was declaring God's faithfulness that he will keep me safe he will hide me in his shelter right he he had this fear right he was afraid of his adversaries but above that he was assured of God's protection he had this certainty that he wouldn't become a casualty even when his circumstances seemed otherwise. And then what we see here is a shift in, in the psalm. And that shift is a prayer of faith as we look at verse 7. It says, Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. And then verse 8 says, My heart says of you, seek his face. Your face, Lord, I will seek. David banked on the gracious nature, the the merciful character of God, and he desperately turned to him and trusted in him. And David places an emphasis here on the fact that it's the God of the universe that's initiating this meeting, right? He invites him to have a face-to-face conversation. And, And David, he eagerly accepts the invitation, right? This was a mutual acknowledgement and a desire to commune with the living God. And David, as he says of God's mercy and grace, I realize that, God, you don't have to make time for this FaceTime. And all this, all this points to the intimate, personal relationship that he had with the Lord. Let's continue in verse 9. It says, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Don't reject me or forsake me. God, my Savior, though my father and my mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. David again shares some of his fears. And these fears are about God not showing up 
right, in his dire straits. He's like, you might not come through. And he also inserts during that a few more reasons why fear is a liar. He said, God is my helper. God is my savior. He acknowledged that, again, God would be there for him. And the idea here is, is for someone to come alongside and hold you, rescue you. For those who have little ones or have had little ones, right, when there's thunder and lightning and they run to your bed and, and, or there's something that threatens them, they just want to be held. And, and that's the idea here, uh, that God is willing to do that for us, that, that God was his ultimate superhero and his constant. We just celebrated Father's Day last week, Mother's Day last month. And as much as we love our, our parents, if we even have a relationship with them, it's not perfect. And David is saying that, look, even if the people who are supposed to love me most, for some reason, don't, I know that God will be there for me. Every time we go to God, we will never experience rejection, but rather acceptance. And as parents, we need to be pointing our kids to Christ as Savior, not ourselves. Continues in verse 11. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path because of my oppressors. Don't turn me over to the desire of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, spouting malicious accusations. Again, in the midst of all this, of being berated with lies and having these false accusations spewed at him, David realized God is trying to do something in the midst of this. Right? He, he wants to teach me. He wants to lead me. And in that same regard, God wants to teach you that he can be trusted in your darkest days. That he wants to lead you through whatever is gripping and striking your heart with fear. And then he closes the psalm in this way. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart. Wait for the Lord. So God wants to show us and, and he showed the psalmist his goodness, not just in the afterlife, but this side of heaven. He wants you to turn to him and trust in him. Whatever is haunting you from your past, whatever fears you're facing today, whatever may come your way in the future, turn and trust in God, just like the psalmist is doing here. And just as he started he ends with that unshakable confidence in God, doesn't he? He's convinced that God's goodness will prevail. But, like the psalmist, how can we have that same confidence? How can we be so sure? Well, let's pick apart this psalm and look at some lyrics to find out how. Let's, let's jump back to verse 8. What does it say here? You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek? Right? It's pretty simple. Sometimes we overcomplicate things. God gives the invitation. All we need to do is accept that invitation. Right? David RSVP'd to experience the L-O-R-D. See, for some of us, though, when we receive that invitation from God, you know what we do sometimes? God, 
Yes, I, I, I know you're calling me. My heart senses it. You know what? It's going to be definitely maybe. If something else comes up, you, you know, I, 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 we're going to have to reschedule. We're, we're still good though, right? That was not David's approach whatsoever, right? It wasn't pencil me in, Lord. No, he said, I'm going to seek your face. I have received the invitation and I am going to accept. Just a few days ago, I went on this personal retreat. And I don't do this often, so I'm not trying to toot my own horn. But I went on this retreat and I told God, I'm going to meet you. And I went to this secluded place. It's our, it's our, it's our spot, right? Because God is a person. And it's the most important relationship that we should have. So I went to our spot. I unplugged from everything else to connect with God. And, and because of my schedule, I, I did this in the late hours of the evening. I'm talking about midnight. And so I had a few hours to spend with the Lord. And it was just amazing as I was driving to, to that spot. I had this anticipation that I was going to meet with God. And it's been a while since I've felt that. And when I got there, God was waiting for me. And I don't have time to go into detail of, of the revelations I received, but I was, in a way, seeking the face of God. So what does that mean? Because that's what David said, right? I'm going to seek your face. This is what scholars call anthropomorphism. That's just a big word to assign human features and traits to God. One that's probably more understandable on the surface is the right hand of God. Psalm 118 speaks of the right hand of God doing mighty things, right? So when we think about the right hand, we're, we're symbolizing God's power. When we look at God's face, it represents God's presence. And this is what David's singular focus was, to be in God's presence no matter what. Let's look at verse 4 because he says it in a different way, but it's the same idea. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. If you could ask God for one thing and only one thing, what would it be? Some of you might treat God as if he was a genie and cleverly ask for infinite wishes. Right? You're like, ooh, what did the psalmist do? He reverenced God as Lord, right? That, that, that covenant name, that personal name, Yahweh. And he simply asked, I just want to be in your presence. Don't take that away from me. In other words, he let his fear draw him near. And that's the same song that we can sing. Let your fear draw you near. In fact, this is what Eric Clapton did to some degree, right? I want to revisit those short verses again. Would you know my name if I saw you in heaven? Would it be the same if I saw you in heaven? Would you hold my hand if I saw you in heaven? Would you help me stand if I saw you in heaven? Right? The theme of heaven is prevalent. In that beautiful song. But I believe that it's as subtle as it is beautiful when it comes to making mention of God. I think it lacks 
an encouragement to draw near to God during our deepest sorrows and when we're facing our greatest fears. And you might argue, well, we can assume, right, that, that that's implied. After all, he's, he's mentioning heaven. One, one problem th- that I have with that is a lot of people love the concept of heaven, right? A better place, eternal paradise. See, they just don't understand that what makes heaven heaven is God's presence. That's why it's heaven, because God is there. You see, heaven isn't some type of glorious Airbnb where we can visit while the owner is away. Right? Again, a lot of people love the idea of heaven. They just don't want God to be there when they get there. What sets apart the Bible and, and the Psalms is they're explicit. They're explicit. When I was a teenager, I remember seeing this label on these ancient relics. You might have heard of them. Vinyl records, cassette tapes, CDs. And this is what it said when I didn't know Christ, and this is the music I bought. It said, parental advisory, explicit lyrics. You may remember seeing that. What it meant is, caution, the content in this music is overtly offensive, the language is foul, and you've been warned. Similarly, the the Psalms are overtly God-centered and even offensive to some. So let's examine Psalm 27 and see how it differs in regard to uh, the the song we heard. And let's unpack four ways to let your fear draw you near to God. The first one is to draw near to God confidently. Go back to verse 1 and, and... Look at what it says. The Lord is my light and my salvation and my fortress, right? Whom should I be afraid, right? Of whom should I I tremble, right? So so this, right off the bat, is showing why David was so confident. He's like, God is my light, my salvation, my refuge. How many of you used to be afraid of the dark, right? Some of you still are. You're not going to admit it. Cut the lights. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but seriously, well, all my kids face this, and I still face this today. Right? And, and being in the dark, you know why that's such a scary thing? It, it's not the literal darkness that we're afraid of. It's the fear of the unknown. What lurks behind those shadows? Right? What, what's going to happen that, that I don't know about? It, it's oftentimes in our minds the worst-case scenario depending on where you place your confidence, will determine if you will conquer your fears. For instance, if you have a spouse or a teenage kid and they don't call or text back right away, if you have confidence in them, your mind is not going to travel to these catastrophic thoughts immediately. Right? Oh, he didn't call me to let me know he's running late. He must be cheating on me. Right? Oh, she didn't text me back. It's been a whole 15 seconds. I know they must be in a jail somewhere in Mexico. Right? It's crazy how our thoughts just start to go out of control. How much confidence do you have in God today? If you want more, like Psalm 27, start by recognizing how great 
God is. And then your fears will be put into perspective. Look at verse 3 again. It says, though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. The war break out against me. Even then I'll be confident. See, another reason why David was so confident was not only did he recite who God is, he remembered what God did. There's no way that he couldn't do this because it was such a disastrous time for him. And he had to recall past experiences of God's faithfulness. And time after time, he experienced God's deliverance. Time after time, he ran to God in his uh, time of need for a refuge. And although, although we can look back, and I encourage you to do that, you have to understand this. We need to exercise fresh faith for whatever new fear we face. Why? Because for some odd reason, we say to ourselves, again, the lie gets whispered, God may have proven himself in the past, but this time it's going to be different. Right? And so, again, that lie starts to seep in, and it's a process. And David concluded that God could be trusted at the end of this psalm, at the end of his life. Again, look at verse 13. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Even if your potential fears are actualized, you can still experience the goodness of God. You don't need to view what you're going through right now as the final chapter of your life. Don't let your fear draw you away from God in doubt and distrust. Let your fear draw you near to God confidently. And then to God joyfully. It's amazing how music can change your mood, isn't it? Think about it. If you want to have a party, you might play that song, I got a feeling, right? You're already tapping your foot, right? Maybe if you want to unwind and, and relax from a crazy day, you play some Mozart, right, and just settle in. Maybe if you're trying to work out for the first time in 10 years, you play Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> Gets you every time, don't hurt yourself. <laughs> but it's, it's just, it's amazing that, that music changes our mood. Even when we heard Tears in Heaven, we were brought to a certain place, right, and a space in our minds. This is why I believe the psalmist said in part in verse 6, at his sanctuary I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. You see, if we allow the fears of our life to drown out our faith in Christ, then we're going to become enslaved to those fears. But when we praise God, when we sing these, these songs and shouts of joy come as a response to God's past faithfulness, his, his future promises, his current unfailing love, then we can refocus our thoughts on the goodness of God instead of cowering in fear we can resort to praising in faith. What have you been feeding your mind? Are you giving in to the scare tactics of the latest news headlines? Have you become paralyzed by, by the fear-mongering that the media employs? You know one study showed that up to a third of the headlines we read are fear-based? And advertisers have come to the realization that fear sells. And what they do is they've actually labeled this as shockvertising, right? They psychologically manipulate our minds into making decisions based on the strong emotion 
of fear. Don't let your fear draw you away from God in angst and despair, but to him. So let your fear draw you near to God joyfully. Let your fear draw you near to God desperately. Sometimes we need to be scared straight. So we do the right thing. So we seek the right source. Right? Sometimes it's only until we're put in a desperate situation that we take God seriously, that we turn to him completely. As I mentioned before, I don't know what the events were uh, that inspired these lyrics, but a few episodes come to my mind when I think of David's life. David was constantly on the run from King Saul who envied him. He was hunted down relentlessly. He ran back and forth into enemy territory and, and ran into powerful kings. He even hid in a couple of caves so he could escape death. But check out what happened during the middle of all this. I just want to take a few passages from David's life. 1 Samuel 22 verse 3 says, Later David went to Mizpah in Moab where he asked the king, Please allow my father and mother to live here with you until I know what God is going to do for me. So David's parents stayed in Moab with the king during the entire time David was living in his stronghold. This might be a reason why he penned that uh, part about his parents forsaking him. Maybe he thought that in being paranoid that they would rat him out and, and, and uh, save themselves. I don't know. But what I do know is that it's stressful when parents worry about their kids and when kids worry about their parents. And I believe that that's something that David was experiencing. And if we jump over another chapter, we see that these fears kept mounting. 1 Samuel 23, verse 10. Then David prayed, O Lord, God of Israel, I've heard that Saul is planning to come and destroy Keilah because I'm here. Will the leaders of Keilah betray me to him? And will Saul actually come as I've heard? O Lord, God of Israel, please tell me. And the Lord said, he will come. (laughs) Right? So the Lord's like, yes, he's, he's coming for you. Right, by this time, David was in, moving from different cities, Mizpah in Moab, uh, and then uh, Keilah in Judah. And so he's running around afraid for his life, and he's praying, just like we read in Psalm 27. And, and note, again, that God told him the truth. Right, he, he said, Saul is hot on your trail. And then it goes on in verse 12. Again, David asked, will the leaders of Keilah betray me and my men to Saul? And the Lord replied, yes, they will betray you. David now stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness. And then it goes on to say that Saul hunted him day after day, but God did not let Saul find him. You see, David at this point found out his fears were legit, right? He wasn't tripping, right? God said these fears aren't imagined. There's a bounty on your head. You're about to be betrayed at large. He was in a desperate situation, but God was on his side, and God is on your side. And instead of panicking, David began praying. He he, uh, turned that psalm into a prayer of desperation as we read. Let's go back there. What did he say? Hear, O Lord, when I cry, be gracious to me. When is the last time you cried out to God in desperation? I'm talking about there is no plan B. God, I need you. I've burned the ships, as they say. Listen to how desperate David was for God not to do. 
Right? He says, don't hide your face from me. Don't turn your servant away in anger. Don't reject me or forsake me. Don't turn me over to the desire of my foes. Please, Lord. And listen to how desperate David was for God to do. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a straight path. Let's take a look at what Clapton sang in one of the choruses. He says, I'll find my way through night and day. I'll find my way. You see, desperation can drive us to do things all on our own. In our own finite wisdom, in our own limited strength. Have you ever done something that was completely outrageous, inexplicable? And someone just called you out on it and says, what were you thinking? I don't know. I was desperate. Right? Don't let fear draw you away from God in desperation, but to him. So let your fear draw you near to God desperately. And then the last way is to draw you near to God patiently. I love how the New King James says, verse 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. I say, wait on the Lord. Let's go back to what Clapton wrote in the other chorus. I must be strong and carry on. On the surface, you might say, wow, that kind of lines up, right? The message of David and the message of Clapton. Hold on. There is a minor detail that makes a major difference in these two. And that difference is between waiting and waiting on God. There's a huge difference when we do things on our own strength versus, again, conquering fears through God's power. In the same vein, David was saying, I'm not trying to do anything on my own. I'm waiting on you, Lord. By the way, waiting does not mean doing nothing. Waiting is not passive. Because you don't need courage, you don't need strength to sit on your hands. Right? The idea of, of waiting on the Lord, listen to this carefully. The idea of waiting on the Lord is doing what you can and waiting on God to do what only he can. That means coming to worship services. That means reading your Bible and praying. That means seeking the Lord's will. All these things that you can do, not just for one Sunday, for one message, in one prayer. You got to keep actively waiting on the Lord. And this requires patience. Listen, for some of you, you need to slow down in order to catch up with God. Right? We are so used to moving rapidly. We're, we're so impatient. We move so fast. We live a hurried life that we miss what God is trying to do in the moment. We're so impatient, again, that we want everything instantaneously. We want that package delivered same day. <laughs> right? We're, we're cutting in and out of, of lanes quickly just to save a minute. Right? We're looking at those checkout lines. If we even have the patience to go into the store and, like, you know you have over 15 items. I saw you. <laughs> but you're just trying to, again, save a second to go and do whatever it is that you're trying to do. 
You might even be thinking right now, man, what's happening after service? (laughs) Instead of realizing that God wants to do something in your heart right now. You know, Clapton had a few things spot on in his song. One of them is when he said, I know I don't belong here in heaven. I know I can't stay here in heaven. Now, I wouldn't use the word belong. I would say I don't deserve to go to heaven. And that's true for all of us. Clapton openly talked about his addiction to alcohol. He even passed out on stage during a performance in that same autobiography I mentioned earlier. He mentioned that uh, he spent around $16,000 a day on heroin. So it's easy to see how these struggles may have contributed to these thoughts of not belonging in heaven. But listen to what it says in God's word in 1 John 4, verse 17. As, and as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid on the day of judgment, but we can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such a love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. Experiencing that perfect love first comes by receiving Christ. Jesus came to die in your place on that cross. So the penalty of your sins would be paid in full. So you would be forgiven. So you would be able to go to heaven. In fact, that's the only reason that you and I can gain entrance into heaven. Jesus did what you could never do, live a perfect life. He laid that perfect life down in your place. Clapton's song was about a son, his son, who died tragically by accident. God's word is about sending his son, who lovingly died on purpose. The title of the song itself, we didn't hear it, but it comes from these three last words. Listen, it says, beyond the door, there's peace, I'm sure. And I know there'll be no more tears in heaven. This is what... John the Revelator wrote in Revelation 21, verse 4, just a different way. He says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And your fears, all of them, can be overcome if you draw near to God in surrender. And so I want to lead you in a prayer right now to experience this perfect love of Christ. And with that, you're going to also receive the promise of God's presence, both now and forever. And so if you're ready, would you please join me in prayer with every head bowed, every eye closed, and every heart open. Would you repeat this prayer in faith? God, I believe you sent your son for me. Jesus, I believe you gave your life for me. I'm drawing near to you in faith, receiving Christ right now, as my Lord and my light, as my Savior 
and my salvation. Thank you for your perfect love and for the hope of heaven. I want to be in your presence both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, we want to know about it. We don't want you to be on this journey all by yourself. And so there's a few ways you can do that. If you're here with us in person, you received a bulletin with a card that's on the bottom, which can be torn out. Fill that out. Let us know you received Christ and our team wants to follow up with you. You can also go to the lobby and connect with our Next Steps team and they'll help you answer any questions you may have. Online, if you prayed that prayer, your host will let you know how you can uh, move forward with that. And for everyone, if it's more convenient, text the word NEXT to the number 909-281-7797. I want to leave you with one last verse that I hope tethers this teaching to your heart. And encourages you to actively wait on the Lord. And it's found in Hebrews 4. Verse 16 says, Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help, to help us in our time of need. Remember, whatever fear you face, draw to the Lord by grace. Be confident of who he is for you. And you'll see his goodness. Sing songs of joy and have your spirits lifted and you're going to see his goodness. Seek him desperately as you trust him and you're going to seek his goodness. And then wait patiently on him. The promise is there that you will see the goodness of God both now and for all eternity. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for meeting us here today, for speaking into our hearts, for calming the fears that we have and giving us the promises of your presence. I pray for all of us who are struggling with the fears of this life, that we would just surrender that to you, trusting you that you will do what needs to be done. And then, Father, for the giving of your people, would you multiply that impact? Would you bless those who are trusting you in that way? And then, Father, again, we thank you that when we draw near to you, that the fears of our hearts and our minds melt away in your presence. Thank you, Jesus. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. I want to encourage you to not just stop here. Maybe you sense God is speaking to you today and wanting you to take that next step. So here's two ways you can do just that. The first is text the word next to the number 909-281-7797. That's 909-281-7797. You'll receive a message back with some ways to help you grow. That may mean joining a small group or finding a place to serve or just talking with someone one-to-one about your faith. You can also visit the notes for this podcast and follow the links provided. And if you're within driving distance of one of our four physical locations in Banning, Ontario, Rialto, or Victorville, we'd love for you to stop by sometime and give us a chance to meet you personally. Again, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope to see you soon. God bless.